0: As I'm excited to uh, have this conversation with you this weekend about disciple-making. Also want to uh, continue to make you aware of next weekend. So next weekend, uh, we're going to start our Christmas series, which is kind of hard to believe that Christmas is right there. Uh, but we're going to do that, and it's called The Creation of Christmas. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go all the way back to Genesis and talk about why Christmas was needed in the first place, and then we're going to kind of pull it forward how God came up with that solution, and then, of course, how that played out um, through Jesus and ultimately how it lands in our lives. So it's a great opportunity. Uh, A lot of times this time of year, folks are very interested in spiritual things, and so it's a great opportunity to invite folks to church and kind of know that that's the conversation that we're going to have for a few weeks there and um, encourage you to take advantage of that. And then we'll have our Christmas program as well, uh, right around Christmas time. We're actually going to do that program 12 times, which is awesome. And so uh, excited about that. And um, it's going to be great, actually. I am excited about it. And so know that that's coming too. But just start to get into that mindset a little bit and uh, know that uh, we think of ourselves as partners, right? And so even though uh, we're teaching or doing the programs, it's so that you can engage them and engage others in that process as well, too. So start to put yourself in that paradigm a little bit and think about uh, who might be open to that or how that might benefit them. Well, we want to talk about reset and uh, discipleship and and close this series here this weekend. And this has been a conversation we've been in for many weeks, seven weeks, which is a really long time for us to have uh, kind of one conversation. But it's uh, really important stuff and life-changing stuff. And so we've taken the time to really, really uh, dig into it. And we spent the first five weeks talking about our relationship with God and how to reset that relationship, what that looks like, and how to dig into that and untangle a lot of uh, maybe what was put in there. And so I encourage you, if you miss those conversations, you can go online, go to our website, Uh You can hit the Bath tab on that website, which is the Bath Campus, and uh, listen to those. You can watch them. You get a free podcast through iTunes if you want. And kind of fill in those blanks uh you also we also wrote a book uh, called reset why discipleship isn't about trying harder that's out at the bookstore you can get that so you can kind of dig into that as deep as you want and i encourage you to if you feel like confused spiritually or like man i don't know what i was taught growing up that's what that book and that whole conversation was about it's kind of clarifying that and helping that to make sense and then we landed uh, last weekend on this idea that those of us who have this clear view of God, we want to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors, ourselves, we started talking about that neighbors, self piece and said that there's a discipleship making element to following God. So we started that conversation last weekend. Again, you can go back to the website. You can watch it there if you want. If you want a little bit of a different take on that, you can go to. Uh, the same website, go to the Medina East Campus tab, hit that one, and Pastor Tony is having the same conversation with the Medina East Campus, so you can listen to that. I would encourage you to listen to Tony. I wouldn't watch him. Uh, it might cause your stomach to turn. Something, something is wrong with Tony's face. We're not sure what, but it causes people to be nauseous. It's really weird. So <laughs> listen to him. Maybe put a screenshot of me up. That would be pleasant. And uh, do that. But you get a little bit of like a deeper take on it if you wanted to and encourage you to do that. This weekend, I want to finish this conversation by uh, talking about disciple making and looking for that relationship in our lives, and I want to kind of walk you through this. Now, uh, this is the way it'll hit you. If you're here this weekend and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, that's, that's cool. What we'll do in this conversation is we'll wind up defining, like, what it means to follow Jesus. So before you sign up, we'll kind of lay out for you, like, what God would want and how that would work in your life, okay? For those of us who are followers of Jesus already, what we'll do in this conversation is we'll lay out what God wants you to grow into, like where are you heading, and what is this whole spiritual maturity thing, you know, how does that work kind of thing. So we'll, we'll kind of spell that out as well. So kind of both sides of that coin, um, you'll be able to get a hold of it and, and lock into it, okay? So what's it mean to be a Christ follower? The Bible says this, Jesus doesn't actually call us to be Christians. That was a label that was put on Jesus' disciples a little bit later on. That label is positive in a lot of ways. It has some, it's negative sometimes. Christianity, the history of it has some negative times, obviously, that, uh, that we're not proud of or don't feel like it synced up well with God. But that's not what Jesus called us to. Jesus called us to be disciples. So the word disciple means follower, learner, student. The biblical concept of discipleship is that I lock up with Jesus, that I, I have a unison of mind and heart and I'm wanting what he wants, I love what he loves, I give my life the way that he will give his life, and I'm, I'm following him. So that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want you to love me as my disciples with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. So layer one of discipleship, the first layer, is loving God like that. Now there's a second layer, and this is what we started talking about last weekend. The second layer of discipleship is that I'm taking other people with me on this journey. So it's I go, then we go. I go, then, then we go, right? And a disciple of Jesus follows Jesus wholeheartedly and then also simultaneously helps other people follow Jesus. And so this is what we're talking about in these last couple of weeks. It's disciple-making, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. What is that? How does that work? And, and how does it play, okay? So when we talk about this, when we talk about being a disciple of Christ and growing spiritually, we need to remember that there has to be a starting point with it, right? So I showed you this this, uh, graph last week. Um, Actually, I love it when they, take it down again. Just take the graph down, put the screenshot back up there. Look at that. That is fantastic. Like you guys get to look at this for 40 minutes. I mean, you're welcome, honestly, right? Okay, now you can bring it up. That was pleasant. So we had this graph up last week, and we said this, that before I can grow spiritually, there has to be this, this interaction with Christ, okay? So kind of pre-Jesus, who am I? And the Bible says this. The Bible says that before I accept Christ or have my sins forgiven, the Bible says that I'm spiritually dead, All right? So that's a big deal. So I can't grow spiritually unless I am born again or I have a rebirth. That term born again, that's not a church term or a political term. That's actually a, a Jesus term. He used those words. Says, he said that you must be born again. That's like a quote from him. So I have to be born again spiritually. I have to interact with Jesus in order to grow spiritually, okay? So that's a, that's a big deal. Let's just talk about this for a minute because there's a real distinct time in our lives that each of us should be able to kind of identify when I decided to accept Jesus' offer for, of forgiveness to believe that he's God and I was born again. Now, you may not remember the, the time and the date. You maybe you don't have that written in your Bible, but there should be a moment in your life or a period of time in your life where you can look and say, Yeah, I'm real confident I did that. And that's an important thing. Some of us are spiritual people, and, and that's really cool. That's great. Like that, that, we recognize that life has a spiritual side to it. And so we're real, real open to spiritual things. That's terrific. But it's different than being born again, okay? Uh, some of us go to church and, and, and have grown up going to church. I was like this. I grew up going to church. I, I, my family literally went to church four times a week, okay? You think you had a bad? I had it worse, right? So we went, to, we went to church four times a week, and there wasn't no slide in our church. There wasn't no rock band. There was nothing, right? So when I was a kid, that's what we did, okay? So I did that my whole life, but I was never born again, that, that didn't happen until I was a junior in college, okay? I even knew the Bible, stuff like that, but I wasn't born again. So born again's a big deal because even if I'm spiritual, spiritually minded, and even if I'm churched, if I haven't come to a point in my life that I agree with God what he says about me and I agree with God what he says about him and rectify those two things, then I have not been born again. So let me walk you through this. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is this fascinating guy because he used to hate Jesus and Christians. In fact, he killed Christians for a living. That was like his job, right? Put that on your resume. I'm a Christian killer. So that was, that was his job. He was a very spiritual guy and a very religious guy. So he had those two elements, but he, he did not believe in Jesus. He had this interaction with Jesus, this defined kind of moment or period in his life. For he knew without a shadow of a doubt that he had accepted Jesus's forgiveness, agreed with Jesus about what he said about himself, agreed with Jesus, what he said about him, and he was born again. Then he wrote this letter to these people in Rome. It's called Romans in our Bible, right? And he describes how he was, who God was, what God did, and how he rectified those two things. So he says this in Romans chapter uh, three, verse 23, he says he's talking about everyone but himself too. And he says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And that's a big thing. That, that's Paul saying, "This is how I was, this is how everybody is. Everyone has sinned." Okay? Now that's a big deal. Now, we tend to agree, it's pretty easy to agree that we're sinners, right? You ever lied? You ever stolen? You ever had a lustful thought? Yeah, you just broke three of the Ten Commandments. So it's, it's pretty sad. I mean, we're not even warmed up, right? So it, we're sinners. So like, there's really no argument about that when you, when you stop and think about it. Now, here's the big deal sin is what causes us to be spiritually dead. So we'll, we'll kind of laugh about it a little bit, like, yeah, I'm a sinner. I know, you know, kind of thing. And, and I, I got that. I do that too. But it, it actually has this really big ramification to it. And it, it's that I am spiritually dead. And Paul goes on when he's talking about what happened with him in God. He goes on in the same letter in the book of Romans. And he says this in, in chapter six, he says, the wages of sin is death. So wages is what I earn for what I do. So what did I do? I sinned. And what do I earn for it? I earned death, spiritual death. And that is the condition of every human being. Every human being that has ever lived except for Jesus Christ has sinned. Right? And you do it, I do it, we all do it, we, we know this. And it causes us to be spiritually dead. And that's the very, very bad news. Okay? And it's the reality of who we are before we interact with Christ. Now, Paul goes on and he says there's good news. There's good news, okay? and it's the gospel of Jesus. The word gospel means good news. So the gospel of Jesus is literally translated the good news of Jesus. And what's the good news? The good news is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus provides forgiveness. He provides eternal life as opposed to eternal death. And he goes on at a different place, same letter, Romans 5. He said this, he said, here's what happened, guys, but God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm a sinner, I'm spiritually dead, there is a gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ and Jesus purchased that gift by dying on the cross for us and then demonstrated that he's God by raising himself from the dead, okay? But by the way, it's a pretty good God test right there. Right? He raised himself from the dead. So he says, here's the bad news. You're spiritually dead. Here's the good news. your spiritual life. Bad news is you've, you've sinned. Good news is Jesus is God. And when those two things are rectified with each other, when I bring my sin to Jesus's godness and allow him to forgive my sin, cleanse my sin, these are maybe familiar terms, right? Then my position shifts from spiritual dead to spiritual life. So in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, this is how you do it. This is how I did it. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, he says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, when I declare with my mouth, that word declare means believe or claim, right? So when I believe, when I claim, when I lock on to the fact that Jesus is Lord, that's a big deal. Because Jesus says he is the only God and the only one able to forgive sin. That's actually not a teaching of the church. That's direct quote from Jesus, So Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. So it's not the church that says you have to follow Jesus, it's Jesus that says you have to follow Jesus. Okay? So Paul is saying, when I believe that, that Jesus is the only way of salvation and the only way to heaven, right? And I accept it by faith, I believe in my heart, okay, that He is God. I accept that by faith, I choose to believe, then I will be saved, right? And I'm placing my faith or my trust or I'm choosing to follow Jesus. I'm asking for the forgiveness of my sin, and I'm yielding my life, and I'm following Christ, okay? And that's where Jesus uses this term. He's talking with this guy named Nicodemus in the, in the New Testament, and he told Nicodemus, he's like, Nicodemus, you have to be born again, you're dead, you have to be born again, and only I can do that for you, okay? So when I believe and accept and receive, then I'm born again. And now I can start to grow spiritually, All right? Now, if you, have, if you can't look at a time in your life and say, yeah, I, I, I made that decision, okay? So you grow up in church, that doesn't make you born again. I'm spiritual, it doesn't make you born again. I go to Grace Church, that doesn't make you born again. But if you can't look at time of your life, you don't have to remember the instant or the date. I'm not sure I do, but I can look at a time of my life I can remember thinking that through and deciding that I was going to follow Jesus. Then I encourage you to do that. Okay? And you can do that right now. You can like pray that prayer from your heart to God. So you don't have to come forward. There's not like a magic prayer, you don't get a necklace, there's no gifts involved, right? So but you can you can pray that prayer from your heart to God's heart and say, yeah, you know what? I've decided that. I've decided that. I want have my sins forgiven. I want to follow Christ. And I, I, God, I, wanted, I want to learn to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? Now, once I'm born again, that's where this next chart hits in, okay? And that's where spiritual growth starts. So I'm born and now I'm a spiritual infant. That, that's where all that terminology from the Bible comes from. So I'm a spiritual infant. And what the Bible teaches about that is that as an infant, I recognize Jesus as my Savior and I receive him. That's like all I know about about Christ. I I know what Jeff just said. That's that's it. Okay? That's awesome. I'm born again. You're not expected to know anything else at that point. What God does want, though, is he wants you to grow to what the Bible calls maturity. Okay? Okay? So the Bible uses different terms. The Bible says we're, we're born as an infant, and then we grow, we become into the phase that the Bible calls a child. And as a child, I recognize Jesus as my teacher, and I'm his student. I'm basically just learning what God says. What's God think? What's God's heart? What's God's mind? And like, I'm getting a hold of that, right? I grow from childhood into, now this is a word, we, this is a term we made up. This isn't from the Bible, but the Bible describes it. Into what we call a spiritual young adult. And as a spiritual young adult, I respond to Jesus as Lord and myself as a servant. There's a, there's a phase in my spiritual growth where I, I kind of dawns on me, like, I'm dealing with God. Like, I'm, I'm like dealing with God, my creator, my Lord, and my savior And God, he is the God that like opened up the ground and swallowed people in the Old Testament and struck people dead for lying in the New Testament. And I'm dealing with God. So I I should pretty much let him have free reign over my life and find out what he's looking for and give it to him. I am a servant of God, okay? Now, many people stop there in the relationship with God. And Jesus would look at that and say, well, that's not full maturity, recognizing that I'm God is, is not really where I want us to go. I want you to go to full maturity. And as a fully mature Christian, I view Jesus as a friend and myself as a coworker. That's out of John 15, where Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, guys, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends. I, I, you, you, you recognize me as Lord, you're my student. I caused you to be born again. But our relationship is that of a friend because you love what I love, you care about what I care about, what breaks my heart breaks yours, right? We're yoked together, we're friends, and so your vision and mission for life is my vision and mission for life, okay? And the Bible says then that spiritually mature people help to create new infants. I go and I tell people what Jesus did for me, they're reborn, and then I walk them through this phase of maturity, okay? I help them to grow into maturity, and that is called discipleship. It's the the discipleship pathway. So a disciple is following God, and then they're bringing somebody with them, and that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what God wants. And this is what Jesus taught us. This isn't like church strategy or church teaching again this is like literally off the lips of jesus so look in your bibles to matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 and this is like straight up jesus just telling his he's talking to people who are his disciples so he's talking to people who've been born again who are growing spiritually and he says this to them in verse 19 he says to his disciples, therefore go and make disciples. See, you're loving me. That's awesome. You're pursuing me. That's great. You want to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's fantastic. Now you go and you make disciples. of All the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So you go and you do for another what has been done for you, you help them be born again, and then you help them to grow to full maturity, and that's what a Christian does. That, that's, what a, that's what a follower of Jesus does. They don't just go to church. They don't throw 20 bucks in the basket. They, what, a, what a follower of Jesus does is they make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and that's what it means to follow me, okay? So let's break that down a little bit, and what I want to do is I want to, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to help you identify a discipleship relationship. I want you to, I want you to be able to look in your life and, and figure out if you have this relationship or not that Jesus tells us to have when he says, go and make disciples, okay? So lo- let's look at this. Let me ask you a trick question, which now isn't a trick because I just told you I was asking you a trick question, so... Leave me alone, it's the fifth service, okay? So here we go. Here, here's a trick question for you, okay? Here we go. If, uh, here's some environments, some scenarios. Let's say this. I'm a single college student that attends church services every weekend and listens to the message. Is that a discipleship relationship? Are you guys and me right now in a discipleship relationship? okay. Uh, Scenario two, two friends getting together once a week for 10 years to encourage one another and confess their sins to each other. Is that a discipleship relationship? A women's group that goes through a Bible study curriculum, okay? Beth Moore has her newest thing out, right? And I like Beth Moore, don't email me, right? So, (laughs) right, is that a discipleship relationship? A Christian motorcycle group called We're Not the Hells Angels Angels, which is a terrible name for your motorcycle gang. You will get beat up by other motorcycle gangs for that, right? Is people getting together to do their hobby and praying while they're doing it a discipleship relationship? An eight-week Sunday school class in the book of Revelation, is that a discipleship relationship? A friend who gives another friend self-help improvement is being your friend's weight watcher, accountability partner, discipleship relationship, okay? Now, I would say generally no, no. Are these negative relationships? I did not say that. Do not tweet that. Do not tweet, Jeff Boges said Bible studies are dumb. Don't do that. I will burn your house down. Right, Me and social media, we're not getting along real well right now. So I did not just say that. Don't go out of here saying that, okay? Many of these relationships are valuable. Many of these, ready, are biblical. Like what we're doing right now is biblical. It is not discipleship. It's preaching and teaching, which is a biblical thing to do, but it's not discipleship do you have a discipleship relationship? That's a very, very important question because Jesus says we're supposed to have one. So what's a discipleship relationship? Discipleship relationships have three elements in them. Three elements, and I'm looking for these three elements. Okay, ready? I'm gonna tell you the three elements. Are you prepared? You got your pen? You got your paper? Here we go. Element number one, they are intentional. They are intentional. So here's the question. Am I... On purpose, getting together for the reason of exploring the Bible with someone to help them to discover the heart and the mind of Jesus so that I can on purpose help them to weave that into their lives. Lots of intentionality. Jesus did this. Jesus preached to crowds of people all the time. It was a good thing, right? Jesus was with hundreds and thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of people. Biblical, correct, accurate, and the Bible says, be sure that you do it. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. We're supposed to go to church. Okay? It's good. It's all really, really good. Jesus would also pull away with the twelve, and sometimes with three of the twelve. And had a different relationship with them that had a different level of intentionality to it. So am I on purpose connecting with someone else to explore the Bible, to discover the heart and the mind of Christ in it, so that I can help them implement the heart and the mind of Christ into the nuances of their life? That's a discipleship relationship. It's element number one. Element number two, it's relational. It's relational. So, discipleship is life on life. That's why it needs to be with one or two or three people at a time so we can share life. This environment is a teaching, inspiring, directive environment. It's a very biblical relationship that we have right now. It is not relational. Well, Jeff, I know you and love you. I know, I know you and love you too. But if you talk back to me right now, you will be tased and drug out into the parking lot, right? There's, we can't interact back and forth. There's too many of us. There's no way we could do that. So discipleship's different. It's relational. It's life on life. It's come, I can't have you guys all over to my house after service, right? You wouldn't fit, right? Plus, I don't want to feed you. I'm just being honest. I don't want to, right? So it, it, it wouldn't work, but a few We could connect. We could grab coffee. The three of us could get together. Discipleship is I share life with you. You share life with me. And as we live life together, we bring God's word. And I show you how to apply it to this nuance of your life and this nuance of your life. So it's intentional. It's relational. Here's the third component. It's exponential. It's exponential. Okay? The purpose of a discipleship relationship is to train someone to have discipleship relationships. There's a release, okay? It's like raising children. When my ch- I'm raising my children to get out of my house, right? And when they're adults, my expectation is you get out of my house. Can I come back? No. Right? Go live in somebody else's house. Go get your own house. And then as I get older, I move in with you. It's biblical. And it's what I'm doing. Six kids, two months apiece. We're fine. All right? Heidi and I are set for retirement. Okay? So there's a release. You don't disciple someone for 20 years. Okay? That's a life coach. I can be your pastor for a lifetime. It's a different relationship. But discipleship has a release to it, and it's exponential. I'm discipling you so that you can grow and learn to disciple someone else. In fact, after I I teach you how to explore the scriptures, understand God's heart, weave that into your life, the end of a discipleship relationship is me helping you disciple someone else, and I kind of coach you through that process. And then once you've mastered that, we're done. What are we then? Now we're friends and co-workers, OK? So some of, the, some of the men that I've discipled in my life, you now would call pastors. They're pastor so-and-so at Grace Church. Well, they might have started off as my disciples. So they didn't know anybody. And I raised them, I taught them, and I saw, well, now we're co. I'm not their discipler anymore. We're, we're peers, we're co-workers. See how that works? So it's got to be intentional. It's got to be relational. It's got to be exponential. And if those three elements aren't there, you don't have a discipleship relationship. You have a different kind of relationship. Maybe it's a fine relationship. Maybe it's even a biblical relationship, but it's not a discipleship relationship. Okay. Why? Because those three elements must work together. You cannot separate those three elements from each other, okay? So if you, if you try to do that, the relationship no longer is a discipleship relationship. Relationship, for instance, without intentionality is simply a friendship, right? And friendships are good, they're great, but they're not a discipleship relationship. There's no intentionality to them. Intentionality without an exponential component, is a small group. It's a, it's a Sunday school class. And those things are good. They're very good. We want you to go to classes here, right? It's very good. It's not discipleship. It's very different. It's a very different relationship, okay? An exponential component without relationship or intentionality Actually, I really am kind of against that because what that does is that produces spiritual fatherlessness. So if I fill a stadium up with 20,000 people and I tell everybody they're sinners and that Jesus loves them and this is how to go to heaven, and 2,000 of those people respond to that and I leave town, I have not discipled them, okay, okay? In fact, I think that's a very dangerous thing to do, because you cannot actually separate evangelism from discipleship. They're linked. Okay? If Heidi and I have a baby, and then we leave the baby, like, laying there and go to another town to have another one, see, you, you, can't, you can't separate birth from parenthood, In fact, I would go so far as to say that when we evangelize on a mass level with no follow-up, we've actually put that person in a more precarious situation than they were before. It's a very... Can you imagine giving birth to a baby and then just leaving it lay outside? Well, I I helped them to go to heaven. I don't know if you did or not. Okay? Because there's some, some interconnect between... I know I need a savior and understanding what that savior is. And I don't don't know that fine line. That's why you don't separate it, okay? So spiritual fatherlessness is not discipleship. I'm not even sure it's evangelism. It's a very dangerous thing to do. So those three things have to work together to have a discipleship relationship. And if I am a follower of Jesus who, and I'm saying, I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I want to follow the Lord, then what, what, what does the Lord want me to do? He wants you to make disciples. So I go, we go, and if I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm looking into my life and I don't see an intentional, relational, exponential relationship in my life, then I am not making disciples, okay? I teach a Bible study every week. That's awesome. Seriously, I'm not joking. That is awesome. It's just not discipleship. I preach sermons every week to thousands of people. It's not discipleship. It's different, okay? So as a follower of Jesus, every one of us, do we have that intentional, relational, exponential relationship, and where is that in our lives, okay? That's the question. Now, if you don't have that, how do you get it? And this is where I want to put a lot of skin on this thing, okay? What should I, okay, I don't have that. You got me. I'm convicted. What do I do? Glad you asked. It was very polite of you. Let me show you, okay? Let me show you what to do. If you are trying to connect with someone to disciple them, what should you do? Number one, you should do what Jesus did when he was trying to decide who to disciple. Look in your Bibles, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, <clears throat> Jesus did something before he chose the 12 disciples. Verse 12, chapter 6, Luke, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to God, his Father. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. And then it lists the 12 including Judas, and the Bible also says Jesus knew he was going to betray him. That didn't come as a surprise to him. When Jesus, Jesus had lots of people around him, thousands, and when he was trying to decide who do I create an intentional, relational, exponential relationship with, he spent the night praying about it. And he and his father kind of figured that out. And then he went and then he asked those 12. He said, you 12, you come with me. You 11 plus Judas, because Judas, you're a part of God's plan. Okay? So we start by praying, God, I'm called to disciple someone. Who should I disciple? Start praying and asking God to bring that person to your mind. Now, let me make a little bit of a caveat here. Okay? Some of you right now are like, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be, you know how many kids I got at home? I like got diapers and I got dishes and I got kids and I'm losing my mind and now I'm supposed to go meet with somebody and disciple them? Is that what you're saying? No. Where do you start? The Bible is very clear. You don't even have to pray about this. The Bible will just tell you that if you're a parent, you start with your children. Okay, So stay-at-home mom with young babies. I know you want to jump off the Y-bridge most days, okay? Gotcha. Do you have to add another relationship? No. Where do you start with your children? Okay, dad, busy dad. I got three kids. I got six. I win, okay? So busy dad, where do you start with my children? Most of my discipleship, personal discipleship, is directed toward my children right now. Why? Because it's the it's the only bandwidth I've got. Okay, Heidi and I do have six children. So I can I struggle discipling with my own children. Okay? Now, what does discipleship of children mean? It doesn't mean keeping a roof over their head and saving for their college. What it means is what? Intentional, relational, exponential. I'm intentionally teaching my children about God's word and how, and at God's heart, and talking with them about how that plays out. As they age, how I do that changes, but there's intentionality to it. It's relational. I'm not just dropping them off in Sunday school, okay? We talk about this at home, in the car, on the way to music lessons, as we get up, as we move Deuteronomy chapter six stuff, okay? And it's exponential, my expectation of my children is that they will grow to love Jesus and love people. So I'm teaching them how to love Jesus and love people. I'm not just trying to make sure they have Bible stories and that they don't do crack, right? But I want them to love Jesus and love people and I I'm, I'm purposely want to teach them. My wife Heidi, that's, that is almost all of where her discipleship goes right now, okay? She knows other people. We love lots of people. We give our lives to lots of people, but when we're talking about intentional, relational, exponential. That's like our, that's her bandwidth for sure and most of mine. That is awesome. Awesome, okay? Just make sure that that relationship is actually happening in your home, but do not guilt your trip yourself. If you're saying, in my stage of life, that's all I got, awesome, that's exactly what you should be doing, bingo, okay? Now, outside of that, if you're looking and saying, well, my kids are older, they're in high school now, they don't need me as much, or the nest is empty, or I don't have kids or whatever, whatever it happens to be, now I'm looking and saying, do I have this relationship? I don't, I need to have it, what am I looking for, okay? Number one, I am looking for a fatter person a fatter person. Don't point at me. That's not even nice that you did that. A fatter person. What's a fatter person? Here we go. Ready? A fatter person, if you're taking notes, is this. Someone who is faithful, available, teachable, enthusiastic, and responsive. Faithful, available, teachable, enthusiastic, and responsive. If you said, hey, Pastor Jeff, how do you decide if you're going to invest in someone or not I would look at you and i say, I'm going I'm to run them through that fatter grid. Are they faithful? Discipleship is not a rescue mission. So remember, we've been born again. So the assumption is, I want to love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I just don't know how to do it. I'm being faithful to God. I want to know. Okay? So it's a faith. Are you faithful to it? Available. Second thing. Okay. If someone will not make themselves available, do not beg them to disciple them. So if you came to me and say, Pastor Jeff, will you disciple me? And I said, yeah, sure. Meet me at 5.30 in the morning every Tuesday, and I'll disciple you. I did this with a group of teenagers for four years. And they, by the way, they met me every day at 5.30 before school. They were my disciples, right? Great bunch of kids, right? If that person looks at you and says, I'm not getting up at 5.30 in the morning, Then look at them and say, "Well, I'm not discipling you." Then, okay. So there's a there's a play back and forth. Like I want this, I will make myself available, teachable. That's the number one thing I look for in a disciple. Are you teachable? What does that mean? That means this. If you want me to disciple you, I'm not going to argue with you about what the Bible says. I'm not going to do that. I will teach you. I'll show you, we can talk about it. I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to accept everything I say verbatim, but when the Bible says, don't let there be a hint of sexual immorality amongst you, I'm not gonna argue with you about whether or not you should be living with your girlfriend. It's like crystal clear. And, and if you're not willing to accept that, then you're not ready to be discipled. Now, if you wanna talk about how to unwind that, that's a, to- that's a discipleship conversation. But if we're arguing about that stuff, whether I should accept the Bible as truth or not. I'm like, we should be past that. You're not ready. In fact, let's make sure that you've been born again. Okay, because God produces that desire in you. It's teachable. Enthusiastic. If you look at somebody and say, hey, you want me, want me to disciple you? Oh, I guess. I mean, Jeff said, oh, all right. Right? I'm out. Here's my little line. If I care more about your walk with God than you do, That's my line. If I care more about your walk with God than you do, that's where I draw the line, right? So I'll go as deep into this as you'll go. But if you're not enthusiastic, I'm probably out. And then responsive, okay? What's responsive? We get together, we meet, we're all excited. Hey, what do you want to do? Let's read the Bible together. Okay, where do we start? Book of John. Awesome. Tell you what, in the next, uh, we'll meet again in 10 days. Why don't you read three chapters of the book of John in the next 10 days? And then we'll get together, and we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. Deal. Deal. They go. I go. Right. Five thirty Tuesday morning. Ten days later. Sit down together. So, what'd you learn in the first three chapters of John? Oh, man. Like I never read it. Huh? Well, it was the finals of America's Got Talent. I was like totally sucked up into this dancing guy, and I never got around to it. Okay. I'm going. That's not a fatter person. So, the assumption with the disciple is that they're hungry to do this. We're not begging. Jesus would say it this way. Let he who has ears, let him hear. That's what he would say. I said it. There it is. If you want to embrace it, embrace it. If you don't, don't. I'm not begging you to follow me. Okay? So as you're looking, I got my children, right? That's like a category off to itself. And now I'm looking and saying, are you fatter? Faithful, available, teachable, enthusiastic, responsive. Second thing I'm looking for in a disciple is this. I'm looking for someone of the same gender. The same gender. Men disciple men, women disciple women. Okay? Unless it is your daughter, your sister, or your mama, do not disciple someone of a different gender. Okay? Um, I kind of laid it down to my immediate family. And I did disciple my nieces a bit when they were younger. That's it, my family. Okay, why? Because discipleship is a very intimate relationship. You will become the closest of friends. And that intimacy must be guarded. And the best way to guard it is to make it of the same gender, okay? I will not be alone with someone of the opposite gender except in my office, period. So if you see me at Panera Bread with a very attractive 25-year-old girl, her name's Ashley. That's my niece, okay? If you see me with an incredibly attractive woman, that's my wife. I know. I don't know how it happened, but it did, okay? (laughs) Okay? I I will not, unless it's my direct family, I will not be alone with someone of the opposite gender, period, unless it's in my office. We can meet in my office, okay? Why? Because those are intimate relationships. We're praying together, sharing life together, pursuing God together. So when you're thinking of somebody to disciple and you're thinking, you know, there's this woman at my office. She's always at my desk talking to me. She loves to hang out with me. She's very needy. She tells me about her marriage problems. I think she needs Jesus. I'll disciple her. That is the dumbest idea ever. I will slap you if you do that, okay? That's a terrible idea. There's this guy in my office. He's married. I'm married. He's always asking me to spend time with him. He wants to meet for drinks after work. I think he has a heart for Jesus. I think he wants that. He doesn't want your heart, all right? That that is a bad idea. Okay, so same, it's like a big deal, same gender, okay, same gender, same gender, same gender, maybe except for the family, okay, it's different. Why? Because there's an intimacy, and you will become very close with the people that you disciple, which is awesome, it's totally awesome, but you need to guard against it. Third thing is this, this is tied to the first one, Is somebody who's hungry, who's hungry, Somebody who looks at you in essence says, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't actually know how to do that, okay? I'm, to- I'm totally open to it. In fact, I'm excited about it. I, don't, I really don't know how to navigate the Bible. I don't, I don't know how to translate this stuff into my life. There's a hunger there. It's a lot of this teachability idea, okay? That's what I'm looking for. So I'm looking for a fatter person of the same gender who has a spiritual hunger that, that I can be used by God to help to feed, okay? Now, what if you're on the other side of it and you need to be discipled, okay? So you, you follow, some of you are like, Jeff, I accepted Jesus Tuesday. <laughs> like, I don't know. I accepted Jesus 15 minutes ago when you explained it. I don't even know, like, what should I do? How do I find somebody to disciple me? Okay, here it is. It's real simple. Ready? Find somebody that you respect their walk with God and ask them, okay? Find somebody that you respect, and you respect their walk with God, and you look at their walk with God, and you think to yourself, I think, that like, they're legit, that they really do want to follow God, and go ask them, maybe ask them if they will disciple you, okay? Now, here's a caveat, Ready? Don't be upset when they say no, okay? Because if you respect them, a bunch of people respect them. And it very well could be that their discipleship plate is full, right? Pastor Ryan can't disciple everybody, (laughs) right? But Pastor Ryan or Pastor Jeff or your life group leader or that guy that you work with in the office that's legit in his faith, they might know someone that they could connect you to. So go to, the, go to your, like your primo person, ask them, don't be upset when they say, man, I just can't do anymore right now. Look at them and say, could you help me find somebody? And I guarantee you they will help you. And get connected and start that way. Well, what do we do then? Here it is, ready? It's simple. Just start reading the Bible together. Just start there. Just start reading the Bible, read the book of John together, right? Break it up, read a few chapters, have coffee the next week, talk about it, that's it. And as you grow in your walk with God, that discipleship process will get more detailed and more sophisticated. We have materials that I've written called One Step, it's going to have an online component, be ready next week, I'll tell you about it then. There's organizations like the Navigators or Crew. You can talk to your real life group leaders or to the pastors. We can can get as sophisticated as we need to. Just don't start there. Just if you're not being discipled, find someone that can disciple you and read the Bible together. Don't overcomplicate it. That's usually why it bogs down. By the way, as a discipler, that's all you need to know is to read the Bible because that's why it bogs down. We get this mindset that we need to have our doctorate in order to disciple somebody, well, that's, that's silly. The Bible says of the disciples that they were ordinary, uneducated men, okay? Do you love Jesus? Do you know how to read the Bible? You're ready to start discipling. And it will get as sophisticated as it needs to be, and your pastors and your real life group leaders, the elders of the church will help you figure all that out. But don't let that be a block. Okay. All right. Now, why is this such a big deal? Guys, this is such a big deal because this is the plan. This is not church stuff. This is not like how to grow small group stuff. This is literally specifically what Jesus told us to do. It is God's plan. And Jesus, the last thing he said to his followers before he went back to heaven was, Go make disciples. So, if I'm a follower of Jesus and I do not have a discipleship relationship in my life, I can't look at anyone and say, I'm intentionally, relationally, and exponentially investing in this person, then I am not on plan with Jesus. And this is the plan. This is how the gospel moves from Nazareth. I call Nazareth the Doyle's town of the Middle East, right? This little, out of the way little place moves across the centuries over time, billions of people later. Why? Because someone intentionally shared their life with somebody else and told them about Jesus and taught them to share their lives. And then somebody, that person, went and intentionally shared their lives in relational contact. And sh- i taught talked to Sheryl's, and disciples made a disciple, and a disciple made a disciple, and a disciple made a disciple, and it's how the good news of Jesus is to work. It's the plan. Churches are healthy when they execute the plan, okay? The way that you ultimately came to Christ is somebody executed the plan. What plan? Intentionally, relationally, exponentially. Somebody told you this. And so that's us. When we stand before God in heaven, he's not going to ask us how many thousands of people went to the church and how nice our buildings were. He's going to ask us, did you guys disciple anybody? What is the legacy that you left behind? We have buildings because it's freezing outside. That's the only reason. It's not our win. It's our necessity. The win is that I share my life. Okay? And if you cannot identify how you're actively working that win in your life right now, you need to because it gets you on the plan and gets you moving with it, okay? Discipleship. I go, we go. And it's the plan and the design God has for us. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, I want to read you this passage of Scripture. This is from that same guy, Paul. He's talking about all this stuff. And now he's talking about sharing this. I love the way he says this. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. I'm going to read it from the the message translation of the Bible. I like the way they handled it. Listen to this. It's the plan. This is my life's work. Helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise. God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that I had nothing to do, it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. So here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open And make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even amongst the angels. All of this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Jesus Christ. When we trust him... We're free to say whatever needs to be said and bold to go wherever we need to go. Do you feel like the least qualified? The least educated? The most ordinary of Christians? Perfect. You're ready to disciple, okay? And we take this good news and we share our lives and we offer our lives to somebody else and we start helping them to download it And God will supernaturally intercede and will energize that whole process. Why? Because it's the plan. It is the plan. And it's been entrusted to us. Would you pray about, God, who should I disciple? If you don't have a person, ask God to bring you one. Would you pray about, God, who should disciple me? I, I need this. Every one of us, everyone in this room should be in that relationship somewhere, okay? Would you pray about it? Would you think about it? Ask God to help you reset your relationship with him and our relationship with each other.